Hey, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. The episode you're about to listen to is from Season 1, which was originally called A World of Her Own. It was part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at ACCA. For more information about the podcast and the artists I'm speaking to in Season 2, head to tysnaith.com. And now, here's the episode. I also started working um, with artists working in other sorts of media too to encourage people's way of looking and apprehending to make different sorts of connections. And I was also really interested in interrogating, I guess, the idea of collaboration as not being a particularly given way of making relationships with other people's work and not necessarily about developing work together, but allowing work to sort of collide. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of Her Own, a series of conversations with Australian women artists I respect and admire. Today, I'm exploring the exciting slippages between art worlds with dancer, choreographer and collaborator Shelley Lassiker. Shelley's mum, Margaret Lassiker, was also an important dancer and choreographer. She used to take Shelley to lots of different shows and instilled a feminist language of dance in her from a very young age. But Shelley found herself fascinated by other art forms and contexts as well, visual art, fashion and architecture. In this conversation, we talk about how Shelley built her own structure and framework to incorporate these multitude of interests into her practice. We also carefully interrogate ideas of control and different aspects of knowing and not knowing. How might we allow a process to evolve and be generative? And how do ideas of control, complexity and courage come together? So um, I guess you're sort of like the dancer in the mix so far, which is different. (laughs) It's kind of always, you know... It's interesting how, you know, across a spectrum of, of in, in whatever context, you know, one is identified by a particular aspect of oneself. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's but it's, you consider yourself as an artist as much as... Yeah, and I kind of always have. And it's partly because of my, uh, I, I guess I could call it confused or multi-interests um, and that have kind of always been there ever since I even started thinking about what making work might be about and what sort of work. I mean, clearly dance was always around me because of my mum. Oh, your uh, mother was a dancer. My mother had a company and was a teacher. Um, so her, uh, her name was Margaret Isaacer, and her company was called Modern Dance on Top of and partly because I always she used to take me to loads of stuff as well and I used to rehearse at her house you know it was just it was all around me but I was also really curious about an interest in visual arts and strangely uh I, I guess it was the 70s too and there was the possibility and the acceptance of in a slightly different context and in a different way and certainly with different methodologies but these kind of slippages between things and I have to say you know I was kind of interested in architecture too and and 
fashion and clothing and how all of that, all of so, these things kind yeah. of... So that makes makes sense in retrospect, yeah. it, how that all comes together and how your work is quite spatial as well. So. Yeah. When I decided not to go to art school, well, neither to do architecture nor go to art school, but actually just do like a, a general degree, but continue dancing through all of that and then working out what and how that work might be situated and then thinking about the sort of trajectory, the historical trajectory of choreography and the performance of dance in relation to other media, I kind of got interested in how it would be if I was represented by uh, a gallery, mm. which I was for, you know, over 20 years, um, was represented by Anna Schwartz. And presenting things and even prior to that I was sort of presenting things in galleries and that was anyone else at that time doing that well there's a there's a really long historical precedent um for that you know from the early 20th century but in Melbourne there were some people doing it through the 70s definitely and I was very aware and in Sydney too definitely I was very aware of that history. So it was never about doing something because it was new. It was very much as a an attention to a particular avenue of kind of um, presentation. Actually, this is really interesting because with a lot of the women I've spoken to, this comes up quite early in the conversation is the idea of context. Or, and it's funny because the project is called A World of Her Own. Mm. And I started thinking along those lines just purely inspired by the Virginia Woolf essay, A Room of One's Own. But now I feel like it's almost come to this point where we're thinking about that external world and have been for obviously ages, but where you fit, where your practice fits in, in a context. Yeah, and I would also then kind of talk about it from another point of view, as well as where the, where the practice fits or proposing for it to be situated in different ways. Part of kind of evolving as a choreographer, I, mean, was, I started making work when I was quite young, which is really different from most of my contemporaries who went through uh, training institutions, worked as dancers, and then became choreographers. So you didn't do that? No, because I, I went to Melbourne Uni and did a fine arts mm. degree because I, there wasn't a dance school that either would take me or that I wanted to go to. Right. And I decided that I had to work out a way of educating myself in what I wanted to do in a kind of different way. So you didn't dance for a company when you were younger? I danced a bit in my mum's company, right. but not very much. And I also, and then I started making work for myself and other people. And then I got a little tired with my methodology. And then I started making a lot of solo work. And when I started making, solo, uh, when I began, especially performing solo work, I realised, A, that solo work is a kind of like, it's almost like another form. Hmm. And also there was a possibility in that to look at this, you know, a world of one's own from a very particularly female perspective. Yeah. Because of, I mean, you know, this is, this is the sort of, you know, <laughs> late 70s, early 80s and yeah. lots of chat about the gays. Yeah. So for me that was really, really uh, important. And it's something that I was aware of through theory things, but... To actually start playing with it 
and um, thinking about it as a performer and as a choreographer, that was super interesting. So were you around, I mean, were you in the scene when Lucy Lippard, you know, visited Melbourne? Was she sort of influential? Because a lot of people... I can't remember Lucy Lippard. I mean, I'm sure she was around. I I mean, I, I remember going to... I mean, I used to go and listen to a lot of different people speaking... But I actually don't remember Lucy Lippard coming and whether she came. I don't know. Do you know what year it was? Oh, in the 70s. Yeah. I don't know. But lots of Look, other not, artists refer to that yeah, time. Yeah, I might have a... just been a little bit too young to yeah. have. I was aware of her certainly in written form, yeah. you know, because there was always lots of journals around my home thing, and, you know, my things like lip and art and text and all of that. Yeah, so yeah. your mum was yeah. obviously on the yeah edge of that as well yeah. so you so it's interesting that you sort of absorbed this language and it's almost like that was your natural language that you were you grew up with really in a way and I guess having gone to um to Melbourne University at that time mm-hmm. and the few of the people teaching there and then I also um for a really brief time but it was incredibly um resonant for me I worked as a sort of very junior research assistant at the George Payton oh. when Judy Anea was the director and Marin Gates was um the deputy and that would have been in like I think it was 81 or 82 is that after Kiffy Rubble yeah after Kiffy yeah. yeah and it was amazing it was just like the best education because I used to just sit and look and listen and it was amazing it was great. and so so were you part of the process of watching artists install or yeah. watching the curatorial process yeah and just conversations mm. uh, and you know some of the artists I was already aware of um and some I wasn't and it was yeah it was really interesting but that was visual heavy really like, yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. there was a lot of performance I mean yeah. Lyndall was doing you know as she did a prediction piece then um uh, who was uh, Benita Eli was doing stuff then, and if it wasn't then, then there was um, archival material about it in you know lurking around. Um, so there was a lot of things going on. Jill Orr was around then, yeah. doing things. So yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. But then when you say you, th- you were thinking about the gaze or the yeah. the audience, so how did you how did you then decide that the gallery was the the right audience or? I, I guess I was really interested in um, uncoupling dance for myself, uncoupling dance from various um, associations or other media that I felt hampered people's ability to experience it, to experience it and to kind of uh, engage with it in a particular way. So, you know, I stopped using music and I, I got very interested in what one might where or how one pre- how and what one was presenting because it was a period when people the the more dominant um aesthetic was i guess derived from the sort of Yvonne Rayner saying no uh, the no manifesto mm. um stuff and you know various offshoots of that of this Which kind of very come um, back again now yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um i was curious about that as as being sort of the only position one could have yeah. in response to a more uh, manufactured view of how femaleness might play out in those sort of situations, and perhaps there was another way of maybe taking control of that in different ways. And so, how did you change that? You act- well, reacted to that. Or? I, I reacted to it. I just wanted to make it a thing that I was more in engaged with. So. 
it was still clearly something that I made a, a positive decision about how and what how it would be seen. I also started working um, with artists working in other sorts of media too to encourage people's way of looking and apprehending to make different sorts of connections. And I was also really interested in interrogating, I guess, the idea of collaboration mm. as not being a particularly given way of making relationships with other people's work and not necessarily about developing work together but allowing work to sort of collide or respond or yeah and kind of and so I'd have lots and lots of conversations with artists that I was working with but I wouldn't necessarily want to know what they were doing until you know very close which is very post Cunningham-y too yeah that's interesting yeah. though it's almost like you sort of wanted to be prepared but then you wanted the surprise of absolutely yeah of the moment it's, yeah because that's very much dance has got that and moment. also just not to be so in control of it too oh that's interesting know. And to find, I mean, I, was, there were, I worked with particular people because, you know, there was a reason to and there was a, you know, there was clearly a, you know, either converging interests or whatever, but I didn't necessarily want to know everything. And when you talk about control, you just mentioned control because this is also something that often comes up. Is there, you know, is there something about yourself that in, innately wants to control? <laughs> 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 because I know there is with me and most women artists I speak to, yeah. particularly that have been through parenthood. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. So this is incredibly strong desire to control certain things. And then there's there's the kind of reverse of that too. And I think that's a, it's a really... And as I've grown older, understanding how those things function in difference <laughs> <laughs> is very interesting. It so, is professionally and personally <laughs> yeah and i think it's sort of like a point yeah everyone sort of talks about this point where you feel like you've had control up to this point or yeah you, even just the maybe it's a myth or an illusion that yeah. you've had control yeah. and then all of a sudden you realize that it's impossible to have, have control and there have been particular points um that have really shown that up you know, one of the things that I enjoy, you know, when I'm working with other people, because I now I, I have both a solo practice, but I also work with a lot of other people. One of the things I really love when I'm in a rehearsal situation with a group of people is not knowing what's going to happen, setting up situations where there's a possibility of certain things happening, and then allowing that the actual process to evolve hmm. i mean it's again it's this like control not control but it's about decision making rather than controlling so it's not an abdication of responsibility in sort of a creative practice but it's it there's something that is generatively uh produced that has to be to some extent unknown i mean i don't want to know everything i don't want to know when i go and see something i don't want to know everything if i know everything it's, it's, it's like, boring it's boring yeah i want to i want to i want to not know things i want to be yeah so i hope I, when i'm making my own work too i sort of don't want to know everything either and is that i mean one thing that i've been asking or just bringing up within the conversations is um do you find that sense of wanting to control things confronting or I've actually been asking what do you find most confronting about yourself oh gosh what do I find what? well maybe, maybe it is that now that you've led the conversation I don't want to put the words way. in your mouth <laughs> I don't know I'm giving you an opportunity to yeah. say what do I find most confronting it's, it possibly it is that you know understanding when 
that's useful and when it's not. And in relation to control, courage. Mm. And how those things change at different times in your life. How do you think they change? Sometimes through knowledge. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, lots of other ways. Yeah. God, it's, re- it's quite complicated. And it's, you know, obviously it's to do with one's personal life and one's professional life. They're inextricably combined, not that one's descriptive of the other. It's impossible to properly separate them. It's impossible. It? As hard as you try. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also, it's kind of, it would be boring too as well. But, you know, you have to have a view on it. Like it can't just be... A display. Oh, well, it, I'm not interested in working that way. An audience is only going to find something properly engaging if there's something real in it from you. A lot of people say this. You know, if you're if you're actually working through one of those issues yourself, yeah, that's going to obviously convey to an yeah. audience. But my interest is like, at what point do you? I mean, how do you stop giving everything away to an audience? There's an assumption, especially with dance but particularly with live performance and this is something that I started working with when I was really young there's this assumption also because of the time it was and for certain discussions there's an assumption that somehow you're going to reveal yourself and the body somehow has no mediating capacity and you will reveal the truth and that you will be authentic and that you have no ability to analyse or... You know, it's a whole kind of stupid Descartian thing. Anyway, yeah. um, I mean, at the sort of basest level. And as a female mm. that you that is being looked at, yeah. that somehow that contract is even more heightened. And so when you and so, don't want to... Yeah, so somehow you've got to create a situation where that becomes a much more complex... Uh, engagement both from the performer and also from the audience and part of that is creating some distance um it's it's about creating a complexity i think of both you know sensation identification physicality analysis um process Mm. um all sorts of things yeah what about narrative do you because i i mean narrative is so difficult but how do you feel about narrative I'm interested in narrative as a kind of a structure, Mm. as an idea. I think narrative can work if you, again, sort of unhook it from... uh, Like it's traditional mooring or something. Yeah, so it's not not necessarily, um, you know, uh, linear. It's not necessarily... um, what's the word? I'm like obvious for. or something? No, no, it's, that it's not necessarily um, uh, linked with um, a sort of a logocentric language, you know, and, and that there's some sort of play between kind of meaning and narrative and mm. uh, representation and uh, description and uh, form and you know so that you know and this recipe is really it is quite sensitive that recipe mm. too much of one thing and it's yeah. a failure and, and on that idea of failure yeah or the wrong recipe or yeah. bad tasting yeah. concoction yeah um can it ever fail really yeah and how do you judge that in my well in my own work mm. i i remember one complete 
failed collapse, which was one of the most instructive experiences for making work, which was to do with context and putting something in the wrong context, assuming that something operated in would operate the same way in these very, very different contexts. What was the context? Well, one, it was a piece that I made initially for Anna Schwartz Gallery, the, the old one in further up um, Flinders Lane, and then I showed it as part of a, in a much more, I guess, traditional dance situation mm-hmm. in London, um, in a sort of black box. It um, also involved objects. I think it didn't it... even take 30 seconds, and I just went, <laughs> oh, fuck. How did it fail? It, what was the... How... It, it collapsed because there was no critical distance between it. It had got, got, kind of gotten squashed by the theatre. It didn't. It didn't function. Did people give you that feedback? No, was it your? That feedback? was me. That yeah. was me. It was like no. Nah, you could feel it. I could feel it. It was like it just didn't function. Because you know, Maud said that's one of the most the difficult things about performing. She's the other performer I spoke to. Is um, people not liking what they're given or yeah. how do you feel about because I see you, you you don't really do it for applause right so it's quite different the whole thing about being a performer is so fraught yeah. in terms of you know the, well the control thing and and the approval thing mm. um and the tension between making something that you want people to enjoy and what that in fact even denotes like what sort of enjoyment yeah um and whether that's different or the same to just or they sort of cross over a bit between what you actually want to be doing because essentially as a woman you're using your body to make something for an audience which could be men to enjoy so how i mean that's just really straight bare bones like how do you distinguish that from Anywhere on the spectrum of someone that might use their body. Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, I, I remember feeling what the potential was in that um, contract. And then the only way that I could, I could sort of start thinking about that in some sort of functional way was just to say, okay, so you're looking at me. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. So you think this is passive that you can just look well I'm, I'm actually looking at you too yeah right so and how did you express that to the audience i guess it's a performance mode and it's you know it's very slippery there's still this judgment that happens of a body mm. and usually a female body and as it gets older and this is something that performing friends that i have that i'm close to talk about all the time oh yeah how do you make work through that without the work becoming about that? Yeah, and I think that's in every situation. I don't. I never. I mean, I was always obviously aware of making work as a woman, but I didn't want ever that to be the only thing that the work was about. And now that I'm older, um, not really, but, but older than you were. Older than I was, but older in terms of people's expectations of a still currently performing dancer, not so much a choreographer, but definitely as a dancer. And it's I'm just so not interested about it being about me getting older. Mm. So as soon as I How feel like you, you can't control any of it, mm. but you can offer more dimension. That's all I can say, I hope. Because even though you're a 
aware of it, you still feel the same as a dancer. I don't feel the same, and that's really interesting. And I feel, and my body is different from when it was younger, but it's not only a deficit. Right. So there's stuff that I feel like, yeah, there's, there's things that change, but then, you know, there's all the, also experience and, uh, and, and not having to hold on to certain things because because you don't care i don't care or i don't no not because i don't care but just because the the attachment changes you know or the the level of importance or the you know is that a type of freedom yeah Mm. yeah absolutely that's awesome i mean that's what i look forward to yeah i've always thought it'd be great because then people don't look at you in that same way yeah something that they want to sleep with yeah well maybe they do though that's maybe that's yeah and that's and that's and that's interesting and I think you can't it's not about suddenly in fact it's the yeah I think it's it's understanding how how you can control no 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 how you can invite a multiplicity Mm. of you can't control it but you can invite a multiplicity of views and I think that's really interesting and you certainly can't control. The, the other thing about control that came up a number of years ago, and it was, that was another really interesting lesson, was a performance I did at the CCP uh, with Dionne Butterworth called Duel. And the whole idea was it was for us two performers and photographers and videographers, mm-hmm. and which we invited people to be part of the performance. And then there was this whole other sort of trajectory after it. And I kind of still had this idea that somehow I could control the imagery that would go out. And um, it was explained to me very carefully by Mark Ferry and and Dee that it's like, forget it. You know, and I still come from an, you know, an era, I guess, where, you know, that was really important, keeping control of that. Uh, and then I suddenly realized, you have no control over that. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Someone else's view of me yeah, rather it's than okay. my view of me. I'm interested in the fact in your, in your, um, in your bio that yeah. you gave me that you speak about this uh, interest in thinking about dance as enduring. So I assume that means your practice as enduring or dance as a language as enduring well back to all of the above yeah. but it's like it's my enduring yeah. interest too as okay. well so and that and that on that yeah because that's part of the crux of this project that i'm interested in is like have you ever stopped and thought about giving up oh god yeah and so why didn't you because i thought i really <laughs> i really like doing this mm. and and i I still have a curiosity about it and I still think that there's a valency there that people respond to. So So have there been points in your life where um, you've sort of had to reach out to particularly like female role models? Have you you actually thought I'm actually stuck here or I'm confused? You know, you mentioned your practice sometimes being confused earlier on. Have you consciously reached out to people and asked for help sometimes um especially when i was younger and i was trying to work out what my practice could be Mm. i would ask people what kind of people did you ask um people other choreographers um people working in different ways and i just 
watched and listened to people and lots of other artists too very curious about what it actually even meant did you seek female role models just out of interest when i think about it mostly yes mm. but i i watched everyone I guess. yeah you watched everyone but yeah. you wanted to talk to other women probably right? talk to other women more yeah mm. Because that's something that I'm, I find with pretty much all of my peers is that it doesn't really exist sometimes, but it's rare that you would seek to a male. And there's all sorts of historical reasons, especially in dance. It's kind of interesting too because there's a long history of very successful and very influential women choreographers sort of worldwide and then certain structures that seem to use them or something. Um, resist them, actually. Oh, really? In some ways. You know, it, de- it depends. So does that mean they then create their own structure to work within? Often, mm. and I guess that was my role model. Um, and But then, the, yeah, oh, gosh, it's, no, that's, it's quite complicated. That's exactly yeah. on the money, though, because like, yeah. that's what I'm interested in, is that I find that these women I respect seem to not, they try to get in at every angle yeah, and then, as a result, create their own... Well, I kind of realised that when I was quite young because of my multiple interests and because at that particular time I couldn't, you know, in a tertiary capacity, couldn't study what it was, so I had to sort of bash at a whole lot of, you know, mm. different ways of trying to work that out. And so I realised that I had to, I had to actually kind of build what I wanted to do myself and I actually and it's always been part of what I do or I've always considered it to be part of what I do is it, the how and mm. where and what kind of thing not just what it actually is yeah just doing. what it actually is and yeah. so do you consider I mean do, do younger women come to you now and do you think of that framework for them does that happen to you now I yeah I do does. mentor quite a lot of people yeah yeah and and teach people yeah but mentor yeah and i find that really very very interesting and very rewarding um so is your world a world you can share my world (laughs) or is it just yours (laughs) not just my world (laughs) a world i can share yeah it's a world i can share i mean i think people people's reasons and their trajectory and their circumstances are not necessarily replicated, but I think there's aspects that are, are certainly worth sharing. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, by sharing, I mean sort of like this idea of generosity of um, opportunities and things like that. Because yeah. what happens often in a small pool, as you know, is that people get really competitive and mm. often this you sort of think you're all on the same team and then all of a sudden... You're against each other. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, and at different stages here, it's kind of interesting because there's, you know, for the population in Melbourne, there's an incredibly vibrant uh, dance community and at different times it's been more uh, competitive and it is in some ways very competitive but it's also very collegiate too. I think there's certain people who've really really worked to try and keep it as collegiate as possible there is always the understanding that you know we're all competing Mm. as well but i'm kind of into that idea it sort of adds a kind of dynamism to it in some ways too or you have to think about it that way (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a way of thinking, yeah, I think it's really important to, to keep that because it would actually be really dull if that wasn't there too. The competition wasn't there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I do think there's also possibilities that would happen if it wasn't about, if that wasn't there. I think, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to say. It's you. hard to say. But that radical kind of generosity that's happening at the moment is sort of interesting, but it's, all, it's almost like being polyamorous or something, so yeah. that doesn't really work. Yeah. <laughs> like the idea is nice, but... <laughs> the practicality It doesn't really work. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird analogy with practice. No, though, no, no, but, but I, think, I, think it, I think it's... You know, I think it's a really interesting moment. There's, you know, it's like everything's possible. Everybody can do everything. It's an idea, and I think it's a really interesting and useful idea. There's a complexity that is useful in having that idea and then not, and then what happens between all of those things. Do you think that we're, as a time, we're sort of working that out at the moment? Yeah. Mm. And that's, I mean, I'm speaking particularly in reference to what I was talking about, artful slippages, Um, you know, because of what I do in the way I work and that I work with a lot of different artists Mm. in different, um, who work in different disciplines Mm. that I've, and I've always tried to sort of uh, negotiate my way through various practices or the various contexts of practice. Mm. You know, I've been very irritated by the sort of silo uh, mentality and now that there's this kind of huge slippage through things i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah, but there's you need a bit of it that you need a (laughs) bit of it you need to have or something somewhat there's still things that distinguish and being able to understand the distinguishing features is not is not necessarily it is not at all siloing but it's understanding the difference between things and, and when I you say between really things, important. you mean between people, like the All skills. sorts of things, everything, yeah, yeah. you know, as a kind of a, a way, just a way of talking about a lot of stuff. Yeah, but it's, I think that's really interesting because mm. it's like people have a – I believe that you can have a skill set where you yeah. know what you're good at and it's sometimes tricky identifying those things, but then you don't need to name that as mm. a dancer. Mm. Yeah, and then being able to communicate that skill set in order to – collaborate i guess is the yeah or the properties it's almost like the properties of you as a yeah yeah thing yeah yes it's very complicated (laughs) i we could go on for hours but i'm really i think we should wrap it up i'm really thankful um for you coming here today shelly it's really interesting chewing the fat yeah thanks i love the way that shelly developed her own performance mode or contract with the audience She describes it perfectly when she says, "Okay, so you're looking at me? Well, I'm looking at you. Challenging the notion that the gaze is passive and actively returning that gaze. The other thing I really take away from this conversation is the way that Shelley talks about ageing, how your body does indeed change, but that this is not some kind of deficit. She rightly reflects on the fact that with age comes experience, understanding and freedom a kind of confidence in yourself which can then invite a multiplicity of views of you and your work. Wise words indeed. Of 
This conversation was recorded for the series A World of Her Own as part of the exhibition Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. It was recorded by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. If you enjoyed exploring Shelley's world with me today, you might like to delve into some other worlds by downloading more episodes directly from the ACCA website. Visit www.acca.melbourne where you will find the World of Her Own link under Programs or from SoundCloud if you visit soundcloud.com forward slash acca underscore Melbourne. I'd like to give a big thanks to Beck Fari for audio post-production and Melbourne musician Fear, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use the track you're listening to, End of the Day, from her album The Ocean of Everything. Thanks for listening to this episode from Season 1. The podcast now lives at tysnaith.com, so head over there for more information about the show and the artists I'm speaking to in Season 2. And thanks again to Acker for all their support with Season 1.